Hi everyone, it's Aliza Licht here, your host, and I'm so thrilled to share that my new book, On Brand, Shape Your Narrative, Share Your Vision, Shift Their Perception, is out now. I hope you'll pick up a copy because personal branding is for everyone. It's for the new graduate starting out, the middle manager looking to level up, the executive who wants to be a thought leader, the entrepreneur starting from scratch. It's for anyone who wants to pivot or transition into something new. Because having a strong personal brand means that your name gets dropped in rooms you're not in and that you're thought of for opportunities that other people haven't even heard of yet. So pick up a copy and I can't wait to hear what you think. Hi, this is Aliza Licht, and this is Leave Your Mark, the podcast, where I brew fresh career advice in conversation with some of my most inspiring and successful friends. It's professional advice that you can action immediately, whether you're just starting out in your career or well on your way. With a massive to-do list and a large cup of coffee, I promise that you can get it all done and still have time to post about it. I am here with Influencer extraordinaire, multi-hyphenate, and just all-around badass female and friend, Tina Craig. Hi, Tina. Hi. This is so exciting. Tina, I can't believe this is your first podcast. I feel so honored. Yeah. I'm a podcast virgin. Not anymore. I know, right? I was a Twitter virgin when I met you, too. You just keep popping all my cherries. <laughs> it's so funny. So Tina, I mean, we go back way, way, way back. Way back. And I just think your story is so incredible as far as how you started your business, bagsnob.com, and you keep on just inventing new things to do, which is just so inspiring and remarkable. So take us back to Bagsnob, how you first started. I mean, this was 2005, if I'm not mistaken. Yes. 2005. Um, my son was probably about six months old. I found myself after traveling all over the world, working both as an MTV VJ and having my own licensing company to being in a suburban Texas home with a screaming baby, adorable as he was. And I was just, you know, shopping a lot. And that was like my outlet. And my college best friend at the time had found herself in a similar situation living in Cambridge, Massachusetts. And we started this little journal together. It was just to keep us in touch, talk about the things we loved. We bonded over bags in college at USC. So we started this little journal. It was called a blog. I didn't even know what a blog was at the time. Her husband said, that's how people are doing these online journals. So you can have this conversation you know, between yourselves because I would call her back then in 2005, we still used house phones and I would leave these, you know, 20 minute to 30 minute long messages on his voicemail where he would to forward past in order to get his voicemails and he worked at home. So, <laughs> and he once called me back and said, what kind of psychopath leaves a 30 minute message about a bag sale? Why don't you two have this conversation between yourselves, start a blog. And we thought, oh, what's a blog? And then I looked into it, like, that sounds fun. So with $20, $10 for the domain name Bag Snob, $10 to set it up on, I don't even remember what we used to use. Maybe it was Blogspot. Yeah, I think it was Blogspot. And we just started okay. talking about handbags because I was seeing these really ugly bags that were astronomically expensive or these really cute bags that no one ever heard of. So our first post was like, maybe we should ask some questions, you know, have people engage with us. So we made our other friend 
who lived in San Francisco send in a question about buying a bag. And it just started from there. Then I was, you know, writing about bags I was buying, bags I hated, bags I loved. And apparently back in 2005, if you Googled a luxury bag, our little blog would come up because there was nothing on the internet, you know, on the internet, as we would say, the World Wide Web. <laughs> you were really early. Super early on, yeah. How soon after did you start getting ads on your site? You know, the first two months, I think we finally did it, you know, because the summer went by and we had kids and babe, she had just had a newborn. So we finally in September said, okay, back to school. And which is really funny because we're like, you know, fashion week's happening because we kept, you know, totally abreast of all this stuff, even though we were at home with our babies. We chose to be home with our children, but we still were very in tune with the fashion industry. And so I think early September was our first post. And within two months, that $20 investment, her husband threw up some Google ads and it was $400 we made. And both of us having finance backgrounds, we went to USC together, studied international finance and entrepreneur. We said, oh, you can make money at this <laughs> on this journal. So I thought, okay, let's start, you know, figure out how we can make more money. And then around that time, Netta Porte emailed us and said, we've noticed you're linking to our site and you're using images from our site. You're not affiliated with us. You don't have permission to use it. So you can do, you know, one of these two things. One, let us pay you, become an affiliate or take down hard choice. I know, or take down these ads. And we literally read that email 10 times laughing, going, is this a real email? <laughs> Do they just say, <laughs> let us pay you or take off these images? And so we're like, yeah, sure, pay us. And back then, you know, Linkshare, it was a UK. So we were paid in British pounds. I mean, it was like the height of British pounds. Every month we got this. Because again, at the time, Net-A-Porter was really the only game in town to shop from. And we were the only game in town to write about it. So it was this wonderful partnership. And we would get paid, you know, in these British pound checks. <laughs> it's so amazing. And talk about starting at the top. It's not just some like random no, no, no. site. I it's know. like Net-A-Porter. <laughs> and at the time, you know, not everyone shopped there. It was only the most sophisticated of shoppers because people still, you know, they, they liked going into Neiman's and Barney's and Saks and going to their local Dior store or, or Chloe store versus buying it online. So the ones who did, they bought big. We had a lot of women who were professionals themselves who simply didn't have time or they didn't live in the major cities, but wanted access to these things. So, you know, people in the Middle East were buying from us. I mean, people in Oklahoma were buying from us, people in Taipei, Singapore, it was all, it was super global. So then from there, eventually you got on social. Yes. So from there, well, you know, we were anonymous at first because, you know, we were scared. Again, internet was a scary place. It's always shocking to me that now I'm literally on Instagram saying, hey, guys, I'm going to be here from this hour to that hour. Come and kidnap me and kill me. <laughs> <laughs> because at the time, we were scared to have our name out there. So it was just like the bag snob and Ms. Bag Snob just to differentiate ourselves. And our husbands definitely were like, don't tell people you're doing this. You know, we were just having fun figuring we're going to take a year off from work, stay at home with our kids, do something fun, and then go back to work. And little did we know this little journal we started would become work. And about less than eight months in, I had this reader who would email me and ask about what bag to buy. I thought she was super young because, you know, she called herself Furla Girl. And I gave her some advice about bags. And she said, you know, I'm about to come into some money. What kind of bag should I buy? And we really went through, you know, the Chanel's, why the Vuitton's, which bag she should collect. And I think we finally decided on maybe a Bottega. I can't remember. I mean, it's been like 14 years. 
And then she said, you've been so helpful. I'm so grateful. I would love if you could reveal yourself to me because I'm writing an essay and I'd like to put your name in it. In my head, I'm like an essay for sure. She's a kid in college who wants to write a college essay. I'm not going to give my name away. And then she goes, I'll reveal myself if you reveal yours. And then she said, my name's Linda Grant and the essay I'm writing is for British Vogue. You're huge in the UK. We love you. You know, every magazine's talking about you everywhere I go. Alexander Schulman, the editor in chief at the time is obsessed with you. You have to come out for us. And I'm like, what? What? Just say that she was the money I'm coming into is the Ulysses S letter, whatever. She's some book, she, like a major book, not some book, but a major book she wrote. And she was getting a huge amount of money from it. And I was blown away. And I said, I had no idea I had such prestigious readers. I thought there was a bunch of kids and women who were, you know, bored reading our little journal. And so I said, okay, well, my name's Tina Craig and, you know, I live in Texas and I just had a baby. And she's like, whoa, 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 hang on. You're telling me you're a young Chinese mom living in Texas. I thought this whole time I was talking with someone at least in their 50s or 60s who had a whole life experience of collecting bags. So I trusted your opinion, possibly living in Upper East Side Manhattan based on your, you know, super bitchy tone. And oh, but not to stereotype. I know, right? <laughs> and I'm like, no, I'm like, da, da, da. and I grew up in LA. And then Tashi's like, and you sound like a valley girl. What is going on? <laughs> oh my you know, God. Everyone has a voice in their head when they're reading emails. And so that was it. We came out for British Vogue and that 3000 word essay, you know, as they call it, article was translated in so many Vogues. And from then on, our site just really blew up. And you know, then I got bored because I'm like, let's do more, let's do other stuff. And I heard about this thing called Twitter. And my partner at the time was like, oh, I think Twitter is for old people. No one's doing that. Everybody's on Facebook. And I was like, well, Facebook's just not, I don't know, it wasn't interactive enough for me. It was just all people I knew. I wanted to go out there. So I started a Twitter account. And one of the first people to tweet at me was DK and my PR girl. And she scared me. <laughs> because That's funny because you scared me. <laughs> well, because I wrote this article about this bag that looked like a sea monster. And it was a Donna Karen bag. And Aliza was DK, my PR girl. And she tweeted, Hey, bag snob. And she linked to that article and said, haven't you ever taken a bad picture in your life? I was so frightened because at the time, PR people had sent us really scary emails in the past or had left us voicemails, but it was always like private and we could delete, ignore, or, you know, and this time was like out in the public, out in Twitterverse. And I didn't know what to do. And I was like, hi. <laughs> From my perspective, you know, we had just relaunched on a Karen handbags right. and we were doing really well. I had it on Kate Blanchett and Blake Lively, and I can't even remember who else. <laughs> Killing life. <laughs> and then here's this tweet from this prestigious bag site that is calling it a sea monster. And I'm like, oh my God, I don't even know who these people are. I don't know their names. I can't email them. I need to take this down. This is going to destroy our business. And I was flipping out and I was like, you know what? I've got to just tweet her publicly and just say, you know, haven't, you see, you put a tone on it. Actually, I wasn't bitchy. It was more like, hey, haven't you ever taken a picture that just doesn't do you justice? That was more the tone. But in my head, it was shouting. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah. It was not in all caps, Tina. I don't know. It's shouting to me. And then we moved it offline. And remember, I sent you samples so you could see it in real life. And I remember you were so gracious because you said, you know what, Aliza, I still hate this bag, but I like these other bags. And then you did a really nice post on some other bags. And that's how we became friends. Yes, because I was really honest and I wasn't just going to play the PR game like, oh, yeah, I love it. Thanks for the free bag. And, you know, I just always wanted to have that true voice. Like, I really don't like this, but I saw two other bags at Neiman Marcus. I would love that and I'll carry that. Let me shoot that. Let me write about it. Let me dissect it. Let me take it apart. 
And um, I did. And you were like, you know what, that's fine. And then you said to me, by the way, there's no bad PR. That link still linked to Saks and that bag is sold out. So it was something like people still looked at it. <laughs> the Donnacare and hardcore fans were like, oh, they were made aware. But then there was these other bags I loved. So yeah, that was how our relationship started. And Twitter back then, my gosh, it was like everything. I know. And then we did a handbag collaboration together for DKNY. Yeah. That was the first time I think... You know, I don't, what year was that, Tina? It was like 2012 or no. something, 2011. I don't know. It was know. like 2010 when we started talking about it, and maybe it came out in 2011. It was the first time a major brand like DKNY did like a large scale collaboration. And I remember you emailing me saying, Listen, I talked to Donna, I talked to Patty, we're all into this, but you're actually going to design this. You're not just going to like choose a shape and choose a color. You're going to have to come up with the ideas, the collections. And I'm like, Sure, sure. And then I had nightmares for the next six months. <laughs> <laughs> She was, can you handle You're it? Welcome. And I was like, yeah, sure. I can do my, my thing always. I say yes. And then I figure it out. I always figure it out. I'm like, yes, don't worry about it. I got this. I think that's a great <laughs> piece of advice. Well, okay. So then you're not someone who suffers from imposter syndrome, correct? No, uh, well, of course I do. Sometimes I wake up and I'll go, whoa, wait, okay. That's not me. And I get like, oh God, they're going to find out. I'm just winging it. I don't know what I'm doing. And I'm just taking it like one day at a time. So all the time. I don't know. I feel like just saying yes and figuring it out later is a really good mantra. I think that people, you know what? I just spoke to Jill Kargman like literally an hour ago, and she was saying that she feels like we grow up thinking, oh, it's better to be safe than sorry. And she feels like it's better to say sorry instead of being safe. Absolutely. Like to just go for it and take that well, risk. Well, you know, it was a bad collection. It's not life-threatening. And if I really couldn't, I figured, look, I'll, exactly. I'll get some help. I mean, and plus you were offering me the DKNY design team as help assistance, but I had to come up with mood boards and the shapes. And the whole idea was based on something I had preached, you know, throughout my career is building essentials of your bag wardrobe. And I said, why don't we do a travel bag, um, a treasure bag, something really special that you took out with you or special luncheons and occasions, and then a trendy bag, because no matter how classic everyone wants to be on trend each season, a clutch and a tote bag. And those were our five essentials. And I always built on that philosophy and it was in Wall Street Journal. I remember in, I think, 2009, the first year they did the style section on Thursday. And I said, can it be in pink? And they were like, okay. And I think that's when my husband started taking it seriously. Maybe it was even 2008 because he was in a meeting with a bunch of attorneys and they said, is this your wife? And they put, they put up the Wall Street Journal as a quarter page lined in pink, talking about bag snob and the five essentials and, you know, in a hand illustrated because they only did illustrations back then with five handbags, but it was the whole section was in pink. <laughs> It's so funny. And I, I would imagine your husband is a lot like my husband, where it's like a joke until it's not, exactly. right? It's like your little journal was probably like, oh, fine. They're not leaving voicemails anymore. He was thrilled. Exactly. And all of a sudden it becomes this like big business. Yes. Yes. And also it's like, oh, my wife. Yes. She's a blogger. It became, blog was a dirty four letter word. No one wanted to talk about it. The fact that it was there, they all hoped that it would just slightly go away. One of those pop culture things that come and go because 2005 yep. was mostly um, disgruntled journalists blogging anonymously about what they were unhappy with or pajama bloggers. They were called, they were teenagers aspiring to a certain lifestyle to celebrities obsessed with Britney Spears at the time. You know, Britney Spears, I think was the biggest thing that they discussed. Like they dissected in the simple life, you know, Paris and Nicole. So yeah, no one was actually blogging about luxury in, in a sense, the way we were from a place of experience. Well, I think you hit the nail on the head because I think that what's so interesting about your expertise in bags and in luxury in general is that 
you are the customer. Right. Exactly. I always tell people I'm first and foremost the customer. I tell it to brands I work with. I'm like, my readers are like my best friends. My followers are people I'm not going to tell them something just because you're going to pay me. So I have to work with something that I love. And if you don't have something I love, let me help you collaborate and design something. And that's just the way I've always worked because I'm a consumer. You are. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, it has served you well because now we're what, like more than a decade later and your brand has grown and grown and grown and grown. And I think, you know, now it's really interesting because when we talk about the word influencer, especially on Instagram, everyone wants to know how to build a personal brand. And I feel like there's only a very few people who have actually made it since that time to still be relevant today and have such a strong voice in the industry. Kelly and I always thought, you know, we always wanted to support each other. So we had a group together and um, we would link to each other every week. And we called a snob something. I can't remember. And I don't know where any of those people are, literally. <laughs> Except, you know, it's literally, I don't, I, we just lost touch. A lot of them sold their sites and then started working. You know, a lot of them went into PR or went into the editorial world and started working for magazines. And because as things change, you know, we were all, we saw ourselves as writers. We wrote every day. And when, social media came and your voice came out and you had to go out there and be public. I was like, yes. You know, I'm like the first one running out there. I'm like, finally, you can see me. (laughs) I'm a quick adapter. As you know, I'm like literally, you know, a 12 year old in every sense. Well, 13, let's make me at least a teenager. Yes. And so it was always fun for me when I was watching these young girls, when Twitter started evolving, when we had TwitPic and I would see these young girls, I was following like Kiara, you know, I, I tweeted at her and I'm like, I love you. This style is amazing. It's so cute. You know, she had this Barbie and a salad bowl. And we became friends. It's like, it's been almost 10 years. And I thought this is so fun. Like, I want to do this. This is great. I can take my outfit post. I've always wanted to do this, but I didn't want to put myself on my blog because we wanted to maintain that editorial integrity because we were still prescribing to that traditional media in our back of our heads. Like we have to be, you know, respected and da da da. And so Twitter allowed me this voice outside of the site. And I didn't want to use my husband's real name or my son's, I called him the boy in the hubby. Yep. And then when Instagram happened, I'm like, yay, even more photos of me. Fantastic. You know, You know, my mom, my mom loves you, as you know. Oh, mom. And I know she's your mom too. And we always talk about you whenever, you know, whenever you post a picture on Facebook. She's like, oh, Tina's so gorgeous. Did you see Tina's outfit today? I'm like, no, mom, I haven't oh. been on Facebook in like a week. But You're like, I'm actually working. I have a job. <laughs> but we actually always talk about how you are just the best builder of personal brand ever. You're a master at it. And I think it would be really interesting to understand, like, from your point of view, what makes your personal brand so successful besides being the customer? You know, I think my personal brand was not calculated. I think a lot of times people want to do this for the wrong reasons. I Mm -hmm. did it because I just love fashion. I just love it so much. I love bags. I love beauty. And so that's why I started Bag Snob was for no other reason than this pure, unadulterated, crazy, insane love with fashion. You know, we always say, if it doesn't make you insane like teenage love, you shouldn't be doing it. And so this job that came literally just fell in our laps. It was our passion. We just wanted to have fun. And it became this career. And so as I evolved and my taste evolved, the brand evolved with me. And then there were, luckily, I feel like I was at the right place at the right time and worked really hard, always thinking about different ways of entertaining my followers, I always put them first. Even now it's like, well, they think this is funny. Like, and then I always say, well, would you think this was funny if someone did it? I never put the brand first. And it was really funny because in the early days, brands would get upset. Like 
that's not really chic. I don't like what she's posting. And then they would tell my manager, my manager's like, this is why you're not going to get the big job, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, I don't care. I'm like, I want to do this because it's funny. I'm going to post a photo of myself with this ugly face mask. They're like, well, the girls getting the big jobs are subscribing to the Instagram aesthetic of this beautiful wash and you have to have the blah, blah. And um, I didn't care. And crazily, now there's an article that just came out that that Instagram aesthetic, that's over. It's about authenticity. It was in the Atlantic. Yes. Yes. And I'm like, oh my God, great. I go, you know what? You don't like me today. You'll love me tomorrow. I always come back in fashion. (laughs) You know what though, Tina? I totally back that because you know, you're authentically you. I'm just me. You're just you. And you know what? Everyone adores you. And I think, you know, right now, I mean, I know you have a son, so it's different, but like Sabrina's 11. So she's like all over Instagram, even though her account's private, but you know, it's like, it's crazy when you have kids on social, like what do you teach your son? Because obviously he's looking at you and you're obviously on social all day long. I kept him off it for a really long time, his name, his likeness. And when he turned, I think maybe 12, he said, well, I should be able to have my own account and have my own voice and control what you put out there. I said, okay, you have a private account that I controlled and he didn't have access to it. So I had the password and we would go on it together and he would look at photos and say, what do you think of this? And, you know, luckily I'm really lucky again, he valued my opinion Mm -hmm. and then we would post. And then when he turned 13, he again said, you know, mom, I want to be public. I want to. And I said, well, I'm never going to tag you. You can go and try hard. And he's like, that's not fair. I said, well, I had to earn mine. So go and try and earn (laughs) yours. I'm never going to tag you. I'm not even going to follow you from my public account. And he started it. And then I would say when he turned 14, he DM'd Auntie Kiara, the blonde salad, as he calls her, and then Auntie Chinatown, Auntie Nikki, and Auntie Brian's like, will you please follow me? And they oh, all did. <laughs> so he's like, I'm going to find my own followers. But you know, it's still hard. I still have control. I still have his passwords. And I've taught him very early on that this is my business. And I've given him very serious instances when you're not careful what could happen. And I said, you know, listen, every post is a press release on yourself. And I think he comes from that. Great way to think. You taught me that. Me? Yes. When I was on Twitter and I would write these random things late at night and you're like, okay, you need to stop. (laughs) Put that away. (laughs) We're having martinis. Put it away. You're like, every tweet is a personal press release because you were like my PR. sort of sounds like me. That's so funny. Totally. So I told him that and I said, here's an example of what, and I think also Gen Z are watching the millennial mistakes. For sure. Like, you know, when all these millennials were graduating college and then their boss would Google them and they see them on Facebook or something, they would lose that opportunity or even lose a job that they already had a job. So Gen Z is a lot more careful generation, I always feel like. And so he's watching and he learns and, and we share an iMessage and I made him sign a contract and I'm going to send you this contract. He signed literally a 50 page contract of what What? he, oh yeah, a social media contract that a friend of mine, Tavia Hunt gave to me. You gave your son a 50-page contract, actually 50 pages? I don't know. It was at least 10 or 20. It was long. And he had to read and initial each one. And it gave rules about emails. It gave rules about iMessages. It gave rules about having an iPhone in general and social media. And at any time when you break the contract, then the privileges are taken away. Wow. You're hardcore. We took it very seriously. And every time he was punished, we would write out why he was punished. And he would write out and he understood. He would say, phone's being taken away because, you know, I got in trouble and he would explain why and he was fine with it. So I treated it very, I treated him like an adult and he felt very grown up having this contract. And so he took this responsibility, this privilege very seriously. Of course, now, you know, he's 14, he rolls his eyes and I'm like, you have a contract. And he's like, yeah, mom, it's not binding. I was, 
it's still not binding because now he knows. Now he's 14. He's like, it's not binding. But I'm like, I can still take your phone away. You know, <laughs> Mama Tina can totally take that phone away. Well, because, oh my God. You know what's funny? I always tell people, I said, you know, back in the day when we were sent in our rooms and our phone privileges were gone, or it were let's oh say, not God. even, even if they let us have our phones, we just go to your room. We just had that phone that could dial landline to people, but they could pick up and listen. But now when we say go to your room, they're like, thank God, because they're going to get on YouTube. They're going to explore. They love going to their rooms. That's like kids today. You're so right. Right? And they don't need to drive because they see a whole world just through their bedroom, which is another thing that I'm like, okay, go out and explore. So they don't have that sense of like wanting to get away from their parents because anytime I annoy him, he goes to his room and he escapes in his Japanese anime world or YouTube watching football stats. And then he comes back down an hour later, he's calm, he's escaped. So he doesn't feel the need to escape. And I have my goddaughter's 19. She doesn't drive. Kids now are like, why do I want to drive? Well, they'll take Uber or Lyft. They take Uber. Give me a credit card. I'm going to get an Uber. (laughs) Oh my God. So amazing. So Tina, you're always moving and shaking. You are never sitting still. And I think it's really, it's such a great lesson to learn because you're sort of never satisfied with whatever you're doing. You're always moving on to the next thing. And your next thing is like, really exciting. Well, it's already happening, which is a talent management company. Tell us about it. Okay. So about three years ago, I left my former agency and I thought, you know, I'm just going to bring somebody in-house. I know what I'm doing. I'll just have someone manage me. And and I knew this intelligent, fabulous woman working for a friend of mine. And on a trip together, I said, hey, I really like Lindsay. I'm going to steal her from you. I hope you don't mind. I do. I just want to be really upfront. I'm going to hire her away from you. And she looks at me like I'm insane. And that's such a Tina thing to do. I just like to be super transparent. So there's no everyone, people know what they're getting with me. Absolutely. (laughs) You're never going to be surprised because I'm just going to tell you ahead. And she said, you know, actually, we've been wanting to talk to you about doing something together. And then they came to me with this idea of the three of us, Lindsay Eaton, a former attorney. And, you know, she was from LA and she's working for Suzanne Droz, who owns Droz PR. They said, why don't we do an agency together? And I thought, oh my gosh, you mean like Raina James in Nashville, where <laughs> instead of feeling threatened by these young pop stars, she's just going to sign them and help make them into icons. And they're like, yeah, pretty much. I'm like, yes, I'm in. I thought, I'm like, well, that's such a great idea. You know, a former attorney, a PR maven and me, the influencer who's been there, done it. I know what it feels like to be managed. I know how I want it to be managed. And so we just went for it and we... Suzanne luckily had her own PR business in her own building. So we took a little back room. We're finally moving out. So we had no overhead. And then we had one assistant and, you know, that was writing out contracts. And, you know, I said, there's a few people I really want to sign. One of whom was Diet Prada. And at the time, Diet Prada had like 35,000 followers and I was obsessed with them. So I reached out to them and said, Hey, you know, I'm starting an influencer agency. I'd love to talk to you. Such foresight, such foresight. Unbelievable. Yeah, it's been 18 And they months. must have been so flattered. You know, at the time they were just slowly gaining momentum and they had just done the Gucci takeover. And I think a couple of people had reached out to them and, you know, more traditional sense, like, you know, management, blah, blah, blah. And then when we talked on the phone and they heard my story as bag snob, so, you know, one of the stories was the one about you and I meeting on Twitter and how Aww. harsh I was in my tone of voice. And they were like, that feels like us. I'm like, you know, I feel like in a sense, you guys were the us back in the day, you know, when I started mm-hmm. having that just unfiltered voice and that really people were waiting for and really needed. So it was just, it was just really great. We looked at the kind of influencers we wanted to sign. We wanted diversity. And, you know, I always say diversity in the fashion industry doesn't just mean 
all size zero, gorgeous girls, age 20, but different skin color, which is what it's mm-hmm. become. Diversity mm-hmm. is in size. So we have diversity in size, diversities in cultural differences, religion. We have, I mean, if you look at our, our roster, it's super diverse and we're really proud of it. And diversity, really important to me was age. Because I felt like as really the entire global population was aging, advertising and voices stopped aging. So now we have these baby boomers who really hold the purse strings. They're, you know, age 55 and above, empty nesters, huge expendable income. No one's catering to those people. I'm like, are you insane? So we have a grandmother who's a breast cancer survivor. And, you know, I said, we decided early on diversity is really going to mean diversity to us and not just to satiate some fragment like, okay, yeah, we're going to have girls of different colors and different, I mean, you know, whatever, but really age is such an untapped, I feel. And right now in our industry, that's not well represented. I totally agree with you. Yeah. We have a few supermodels like Cindy Crawford, and but who's really aging like her? I want real women who've had real issues, who've had mastectomies and who've had breast cancer And I want to get those women who have a voice and want to work and are still beautiful and they have a, you know, following and to help them grow their following. So I look for those too. What's the criteria to be part of your agency besides diversity? Like what kind of engagement rate do you need? Super authentic voice. Well, we look at engagement Mm -hmm. and um, we have someone who's, you know, has 50,000 followers. Then we have some in the millions and- Mm -hmm. And then we look at engagement. We look at how they're engaging and engagement's not just likes and whatever. We look to see how many times their posts are being shared, um, being forwarded and shared and saved. And we really dive in and look and we just hired a vice president. I'm so proud of ourselves. We have a team of eight in Dallas and we have one in New York and that's growing. Wow. We just hired, yeah, we have a vice president of strategic partnerships, Jamie Walklerts, and she hails from KCD and Krupp and Edie Parker. And she's the data person. She's numbers obsessed. And she's constantly like, more data, more data. And she's crunching numbers and looking. And so, you know, we're we're really changing up the way things are done in the past where people are just going off of the what you see on the outside. We really want people who are talking to their, answering DMs and really engaging with their people and answering questions and seeing their following, not just as fans, but as their community. Cause that's how I've always seen my readers mm-hmm. and followers. They're my community of girls or, and boys. Actually, I have a lot of guys. I have guys following me. I always say I have girls and gays and a few, you know, hubbies spread out just because they want to shop for their wives. <laughs> <laughs> so how, I mean, obviously the algorithm has changed so much on Instagram and, and organic is really hard, right? Very. It's really hard Very. to grow now. So what do you advise your clients? If people are listening and they're like, Oh my God, I want to grow my brand because I, you know, I have a small business or I'm launching a business. What do you tell your clients? You know, I always say you can boost your posts. That's a mm-hmm. great way to get it out there. And just creating that really authentic content and then engaging with other people, other yes. influencers, tagging brands. And sometimes brands might be like, oh, that's really cute. I'm going to repost that. When brands repost you, you're generally going to see a quick influx and where other influencers tag you and just attending events and being super proactive and saying, you know, I'm just going to go, even though I have X amount of following, I'm usually paid to go to things, just go, you know, this mm-hmm. is a brand you want to be aligned with. Why not go do some posts, have some fun. And then they're most likely going to share you as well, because they feel like, Oh, you know, what a great person to work with and let's help them get some following as well. 
And there's so many different ways. There are people doing giveaways. So if you're a brand and you want to, you know, we've done giveaways since the beginning of time. We were collecting emails for our email list, subscriber list on backstop.com. Mm-hmm. And then it became Facebook giveaways. I remember once was a shop bop gave us like 30 bags to give away for Christmas. We did one per day. That was super aggressive, but you know, it got everybody a ton of followers. So there's, there's yeah. different ways to go and. But also I always tell my talent, don't worry about numbers. Do not worry about numbers because I'd rather you super, super like be engaged with your 35,000, 50,000 and really growing that than try to get and become a million because it becomes so big that maybe you're not really listening or the people feel like, oh, they're not listening to me. So you'll see these micro influencers in the hundreds really engage and they're converting like crazy. I mean, you can have a hundred thousand followers and be making a million in sales, you know, like converting a million sales, not making it, taking it home. What's your opinion on taking away likes or like, you know, public facing likes? You love it? I love it. I've been talking about this for a long time and I've always said, you know, it takes that competition away because I feel like social media, this Instagram, you know, economy has become like those certain countries where the haves are really big and the have nots have nothing. And there's nothing in between. There's no middle, Mm -hmm. there's no middle class anymore. So I think taking it away will democratize the voices and people will just do really what makes them feel good. I agree with you. Because, and really, it's not even about the talent. It's really about these kids who are saying, how many likes did I get? How many likes yep. I guess? I always tell, you know, now that my son has a little account, I'm always like, don't worry about the likes. Just post what you love. Don't worry what other people are going to like because if they like you, they'll keep following. If they unfollow you, they weren't for you anyway. Exactly. No, good advice. Yeah. So, I mean, what's next? Tina, you're always doing something. So I'm sure you're cooking up something new because you don't stay, you just build and then you move on to the next thing and then things keep on growing around you. Well, the, yeah, the agency is doing great. It's growing and, and um, I'm not day-to-day management and that's because I can't be, in, can you imagine Tina in an office no, every day? You don't I want cannot. that. I would drive everybody crazy. So I'm like the ideas person. I come in for you know meetings and I and I'm constantly in touch with my team, of course, daily, sometimes hourly. Sometimes I think they don't want to hear from me, but I'm constantly like, tell me what's happening. Um, I'm actually launching a beauty <gasps> product. Perfect. Yes. Oh my God. So it's going to be happening where I think we're 89 days down or September oh 1st. Oh my God, that's so exciting. I've been working on it secretly for about 18 months and having test humans. I don't test on animals. I test on supermodels, influencers, and celebrities. <laughs> I test on supermodels and influencers. I do. I literally have a Victoria's Secrets angel, like the biggest one as my tester. And then I have influencers, you know, got Diet Prada and then I've got CEOs. I, I love you. I've got a huge CEO of a huge billion dollar tech brand as my test human. And then I have jewelry designers who, you know, sells to the likes of Oprah as my testers. And everyone is so far been thrilled. That's amazing. I cannot wait to get it in my hot little hands. Yes. It's called you beauty, just a you. Cause it's all about you. I feel like it's time to take it back and really make it about the person buying it and not about the brand. Yeah. Or the, like the people they're hiring and like, let's take it back to the consumer. That's who I am. So it's all about you. I love it. More you, less filters. That's my motto. <laughs> Tina, do you have more than 24 hours in your day? I don't know. I feel like I you know. do. Last night I couldn't sleep. You know, I'm the one that can't sleep. And then I'm texting my partners at 2 a.m. One of my partners, her husband said to her, oh my God, you haven't heard from Tina at 7 a.m. I think she's dead. You better check on her. <laughs> Well, I always know when you pop up on my text, it's going to be like 50 
and then nothing for like weeks. You're so funny. I'm like, you know, I'm a texter. I don't like to really talk on the phone. I could text, do my emails, you know, do everything a lot at the same time. I'm a little ADD. I think most entrepreneurs are super ADD. That's so funny. Yes. I, you know what? I do hear that a lot. So you're also constantly traveling though. Like how many days of the month are you actually home? You know, I'm home a lot. I think my content and it looks like I'm gone. But when I go, it's like when I went to Hawaii, it was only for three days. The only time I'm gone a lot is during fashion month. So it's like seven days in New York, seven days in Paris. Other than that, like this month, I was gone for 36 hours. I'll go to Berlin for four days. So only five days this month. But there's a bunch of different trips. So it looks like I'm gone a lot. But I will literally go to China for three days and come back just to make a football game. I'm known to like fly to Hong Kong for 48 hours. Instagram chose me as their luxury fashion icon for the series of fireside chats that they were doing. And so they flew me to Hong Kong for 48 hours. And I landed at 4pm maybe and then had the driver drive me to the football game with all my luggage. So I wouldn't miss my son's important events. And I schedule things around him. Such a good mom. Well, that's just being a mom. I mean, I think every mom does that. We just do what we can. My meetings just happen to be in Hong Kong instead of at their office. Slightly farther. I know, but you know what though? Yes, but sometimes a lot of people are like, you know what? I'm just going to do me for a while. And I think it's great that you do that because I'm sure he appreciates it so much. Oh, yeah. But I do think, I do think that you have an incredible amount of energy. I feel like you are constantly doing amazing things, going places, meeting new people, making new deals. I mean, you work really hard. I'm having fun though. How lucky. So I always tell people, find something to do that you love and cannot live without like crazy, like teenage love. And you will never work a day in your life and you'll wake up every day excited. And I really think in the next decade, we're going to see a lot of people more than ever become entrepreneurs, being able to do it all and having their own businesses and loving what they do because of the internet, because of technology and having children and being able to stay at home with them. That was my number one thing was I wanted to raise my son. I had a really hard time getting pregnant and so I was just doing things for fun and realized I could make money at it. And I said, oh my gosh, this is the dream. I can make money and be at home. So my son would nap every day, you know, with me next to him, hearing the hum of the laptop and me typing away. Amazing. Yeah. How will you leave your Martina? What do you think you're going to be known for? What's on your tombstone? Oh my gosh. What a question. I know. I think on my tombstone would be... She came, she loved, she did it. Oh, I love that. Yeah. Oh. The things I do, it has to come from love. And I know it sounds so cheesy. No, it doesn't. It doesn't. I love my work. I can't stop working because I love it. It's so much fun. I'm having fun. And you're so good at it. You're so good at it. And you're such a good friend. You're a great mom, great wife. You really do it all. You really do. I mean, I know people, someone wrote on one of those Facebook Upper East Side Moms groups the other day, can someone please tell me if it's possible to have it all? And honestly, I just wrote yes, because I feel like you can yeah. if you have great support, mm-hmm. great family, great friends. Whole village. Yeah. School moms. I've got these moms I depend on. I've got my husband who's my gosh, I would not be able to do this. He's like, look, you go, you do you, and I'll stay. Because he loves staying at home with our son. So we've never taken a trip without him. So our son's usually like, you go do your work. I've got dad or on the occasion, my husband leaves on a business trip once a year. You know, I'm here. So he's always got some one of us at home. Yeah. So he doesn't feel, yeah. That's amazing. Well, Tina, thank you so much for coming on Leave Your Mark, the podcast. 
I love you. You are. Thank you for having me. I love you. And you are so inspiring. Look at how you're constantly doing things. Thank you. Your book is in Chinese now. So exciting. I'm going to take it back to Asia with me this summer. Oh my God. You're so cute. And where can everyone find you? Instagram, Backsnob. Yeah, Bagsnob.com and Instagram through Bagsnob.com. You'll see all my socials. But yeah, I'm on Insta a lot. Insta story. Insta stories have been my favorite. It is really fun. It's just less precious and less... Exactly. And I think that's what it's got to go back to. And that's why I go on Snapchat too, because it's just so easy. I don't... No one's allowed to like anything. I just do what I want and then I leave. Don't like it. Don't watch it. Exactly. Well, you know... (laughs) It's so funny. My daughter the other week was like, I don't like that you posted that. I'm like, you know what? Unfollow. Unfollow. Yeah, don't you don't follow have to me. follow me. Yeah. My son all the time is always like, you are so cringy. You and the trigger moms <laughs> that follow you. All You only have trigger. He calls us triggered moms. We're always politically like shouting about this or that. I go, you're not my demographic, so stop following me. <laughs> <laughs> but then I'm like, but if you unfollow me, you're grounded. I need to be able to find you. <laughs> I'm sure that's in the contract. <laughs> yes, you must follow your mother and engage when she needs you. I'm kidding. <laughs> oh my God. Thank you, Tina. I love you. Thanks so much for listening to Leave Your Mark, the podcast. If you want more career advice, be sure to pick up my best selling book, Leave Your Mark. If you want to subscribe to my career advice newsletter, Blackboard, you can do so on alizalick.com. Be sure to follow me on Instagram at AlizaLichtXO or reach out on Twitter at AlizaLicht. And just remember this, if change doesn't hurt a little, it's not change. Keep on rocking.